Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Square Circle Podcast. You are hearing Marie Shadows, and this is the best podcast you ever heard, because all we're having is a conversational love letter about professional wrestling with no gimmicks needed. Today, we're going to be talking about AEW Dynamite, which premiered yesterday, December 11th. It was an explosive show. Uh, This is the second to last show. I would say, uh, before AEW takes their much-needed Christmas vacation, their little bit of off-time, their little bit of off-season. And I really do love the fact that AEW is implementing some type of off-season. Everyone on the team still has their own little obligations to complete. Uh, Like, this weekend, uh, Kenny is going over to Capcom to play some uh, Street Fighter. That was announced on Twitter. Uh, you have um, Sakura going back to Japan and be with Stardom. Uh, B Priestley is over there as well. So everyone on the roster has other obligations to fulfill. Therefore, I think it's very fantastic that these guys have a little bit of an off time, have a little bit of time to themselves and to heal up any nagging injuries because I don't want to see any of the AEW guys be taken out uh, and have to rest up for like a year. And you can see the contrast too with um, AEW and WWE and how WWE goes full force every single day. Um, And then eventually their guys get hurt more than anything else. And when we root, for our favorite WWE superstars, they get hurt, they're on the shelf for a little bit, and then if they don't do a lot of constant self-promoting, like Xavier Woods, you kind of forget about them and the storylines, and then when they come back, it's sort of like, why are we interested? It's quite different with AEW and their roster in the fact that everyone is still relevant, Everyone still works just as hard and everyone, you know, um, we're so invested in everyone. So I don't think if anyone ever took a really long time that we'll be like, eh, what are you doing? Type of thing. Um, so let's just get right into it. AEW Dynamite explodes right out the gate with John Moxley coming out. John Moxley opens the show. The crowd is so crazy about Moxley, and Moxley has completely turned around his wrestling career. Um, from his ending days in WWE to like his little tiny break, then signing with AEW and then doing New Japan, and he's all over the place. He is explosive, and everybody wants to see John Moxley. John Moxley still comes out through the crowd, which is um, still good. Uh, just you know, in the future, be careful. Mox comes down. There is a single wrestler in the ring. I have no idea who he is. Um, until I realized uh, when his partner came out, I was like, oh, that's that tag team of John Silver and Alex Reynolds. So Alex Reynolds was waiting um, in the uh, the ring and just right out the gate, John Moxley attacks Alex Reynolds, does the paradigm shift, and then bam, one, two, three, that's it. It's a squash match. My only problem with that squash match is that I don't want to see this every week. I don't want to see this into the new year where I understand Moxley is hot and sometimes, you know, a lesser known guy like Alex Reynolds or John Silver may not uh, match with John Moxley, but give these guys the benefit of the doubt the same way that every other wrestler gets the benefit of the doubt to wrestle 
uh, high caliber wrestlers. This loss for Alex Reynolds does set up for something a little bit later that we're talking about in this podcast, um, which everyone needs to understand that AEW does a lot of planting of the seeds when it comes to big overarc storylines. Um, and you know, there's a conversation on Twitter always about like, you have the fans that watch the, and then those fans get it. And then you have the other fans who just look at stuff on Twitter, get upset and complain about it and complain about the product. But there's some part of you that has to like, be a writer to understand the type of seed dropping that AEW is doing. And that's what AEW is doing from a creative standpoint. I have my degree in creative writing and I have the publishing certificate. So I understand why um, certain people may lose. And then eventually we'll find out, you know, the more times that they lost, are they going to eventually do something about it? Are they going to turn heel? Are they going to join the dark order? Other ways to go with stories rather than the plain black and white, narrow-minded kind of storytelling. AEW is like all over the place from like A to Z when it comes to their storytelling. But if you pay attention to the details, it's all about the details that make AEW different for everyone else. And I know people don't see it. And it's totally fine if you don't see it. No hard feelings there. But sit down to watch it and notice all the details in... The promos that are being cut. Notice all the details in uh, whenever they release a new B&D Elite episode. Notice all the details when they release um, AEW Dark and also Dynamite. There's little details in everything that these guys do that tell a bigger picture because they don't focus on just the small stuff. Again, that's in contrast to what WWE does. WWE does like tries to hold everyone by the hand and people still complain about it. And then they don't understand why certain things are happening. And WWE can't do long-term storytelling like how they used to. Not to make this episode a compare contrast between WWE style and AEW style. Because that's a whole nother podcast that needs a whole nother research and like in-depth analysis. But just to give you guys like an idea... So that way people can stop complaining about a product that they may not constantly watch or they may constantly say that, you know, oh, well, depending on where I live, you know, there's not good enough Internet quality. Well, that's not AEW's fault. That's just the place where you live at. You know, there's nothing anyone can do about that except you complaining to somebody to get better Internet quality. But I know this is a big tantrum and I need to get back to my review, but I didn't want my review to be kind of just boring, like, bam, let's get to everything. But I like to throw in some knowledge and tidbits about other little things so we could get a better wrestling community that thinks about the bigger picture when it comes to AEW and think about the details and not just say, you know, the crap that they say. After John Moxley defeats Alex Reynolds in the first opener match, the inner circle comes out. Who would have thought the inner circle was to come out? Um, I know I am way behind in like AEW. I did miss two weeks of AEW, which kind of hurts me. Um, but last week, Moxie had come out, uh, messed around with Jericho and stuff like that. So now this week, Jericho comes out with the inner circle. And by inner circle, it means everybody. So that means that uh, Satana and Ortiz, Sam Guevara and Jake Hager all joined him on stage and around the ring. And Jericho is so great in his promo that uh, it is so believable. And, um, you know, you just 
love to hear what the guy has to say. Um, the most interesting takeaway from this promo was the line that he says that you need me, Mox. Well, Moxley. In my notes, I like writing Mox. It's a lot shorter. But Jericho does tell Moxley that you need me. Um, it's a very classic promo. It's a very classic storyline that they're going with. Sort of like teacher versus student, but that's like a stretch coming, you know, trying to put this on this situation. It's more like, well, I made you. Uh, you know I made you. So why not just join with me and we could just be great together, you know? Um, I already know how you think. I already know how you act. So let's just, you know, take over AEW. At this point, Jericho wants Moxley to join the Inner Circle. I personally feel like Moxley is not going to join the Inner Circle. Moxley does not need a team behind him. Moxley just needs to keep doing what he's doing. Uh, produce strong quality promos. Produce strong quality matches. No squash matches. Matches. Um strong quality matches and stuff like that. Um, I do not see him joining the inner circle. I see him probably maybe for like next week's go home show. I see him coming out, distracting Jericho or beating him up while the referee is distracted and having jungle boy pick up the win. Um, that is what I see in other news. Aside from AEW, it is signed that Lance Archer of new Japan pro wrestling will be facing John Moxley. That's going to be a very, 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 very interesting match. Um, I do like the fact that Moxley is not afraid to go out there and travel and to experience different wrestling styles, experience different wrestling culture, so to speak. You know, sometimes in the wrestling business, wrestlers tend to get complacent. Um, and that's very evident with WWE guys when they give you a bunch of money and you're like, hey, I could just make a living off of this. Especially when you haven't reached the full potential of something that you love. Um, you just stay stuck and you stay boring and you stay just there. Um, I really appreciate the fact that Moxie was like, I'm going to travel all over the world. I'm going to beat this guy's ass. I'm going to beat that person's ass. Like, I'm the baddest person here, so I'm just going to go around Make my name and you're definitely going to know who I am. And that's exactly what Moxley has done. And you can just see that his passion has come back. Uh, he gets to be more of himself. He gets to do whatever he wants. Again, just to go back to this, I'm calling it now. Next week, December 18th, the go-home show for AEW Dynamite. Moxley would uh, come out, probably beat up Jericho, maybe distract Jericho, or beat up Jericho and have the referee distract this, so that way Jungle Boy could pick up the one, two, three. Because just imagine if Jungle Boy picks up the one, two, three head, like next week against Jericho. Like, actually really, really do it. Not only does that make Jungle Boy in line to get a title shot down the line, that also makes this feud between Jericho and Moxie a little bit more better. After the opening segment is done, we now get to our second match of the night, which is a tag team match of Cody and QT Marshall versus The Blade, The Butcher, with um, The Bunny. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I do not know who The Blade and The Butcher are, but I do know who The Bunny is. The Bunny is just basically Allie. She's heel. Uh, she just turned, and um, it's a good look for her. I love 
Allie when she's heel. When she's the baby face that she's playing uh, the the girl next door type, I just can't. I'm like, I don't see that, man. I see you more being evil and mean. Like, I just can't. Um, I would like to see her in skill, in skill, in ring skills improve. Uh, the last couple of times that we saw her on AEW Dark and or Dynamite uh, when she wrestled, uh, I could just tell that when she throws her forearms, they don't look like they connect. They don't they don't have that feeling of, yeah, I just hit you type of feeling. It's just it's very nervous. It's very light. It's, you know, to make sure that they don't hurt the other girls. And I totally get that when you're in the wrestling ring. You put your life in someone else's hands, and I totally get that. However, at least make it look like, you know, it's a fight. At least make it look like it's wrestling. At least make it look like I could believe that when you punch her, oh, shit, if I fuck with you, you're going to punch me, and I'm going to feel the exact same thing your opponent felt. Like, don't make it seem like it's a baby thing. Like, go in there and do it, you know, because that's how everyone learns while training and stuff like that. You go in there and do it. Like, don't hold back your punches. Well, hold them back somewhat, but, like, you know. You get the idea. But overall, I think she does a very good job of coming out as whatever character, you know, she wants to be and whatever character AEW would give her, especially with her being the bunny. It's very believable. Her just being a manager slash character works. She just has to improve on her wrestling. And that's all. The Blade and the Butcher, I don't really know. I think I've seen some pictures around the internet about them, but not too much. Um, They are... They look like extremely old school, extremely old school. Anyone that is listening to this, if you guys want to help me learn about the Blade and the Butcher, uh, you can either leave it as a comment on Twitter. I hope you guys are following me on Twitter at Marie underscore shadows. Or guess what, guys? Anchor does a phenomenal job of having the fans have a voice and let the podcaster know some things. So on Anchor, there is a voice message. You guys can leave us voice messages. Um, and then from there, I'll watch some The Blade and the Butcher stuff and learn some stuff. Um, you guys can do that. We all know who Cody Rhodes is. QT was very surprising uh, in this match. Um, his story about, like, you know, always being told that, you know, uh, he probably couldn't cut it and stuff like that. Um, QT is their associate producer in AEW. Um, and he's also a great wrestler. Um, I think the whole story was that he had a injury and he wasn't sure how the injury was going to affect them in this match. And if you guys hear banging is upstairs neighbors, like I swear, I want to do a podcast. I want no sound. I just want you guys to hear me and I like things happen. That's what happens when you live in New York City. QT does this handstand in Sigiri, which looked beautiful. I just want to mention for the sake of this um, podcast, when Cody Rhodes gets super passionate, he takes a lot of freaking risk. As as you all know, with the last pay-per-view at Full Gear, when he jumped over the rope and he split his eyebrow open, that is a scar that's not going away. So that's one risk that he decided to take. He does take a lot of risks, like when he decided to jump from rope to rope and then do the cutter on one of the members of the Blade and the Butcher. Like, Cody, it's okay. I understand you get passionate, you want to bring that energy, that excitement, that story that's in this match, but you don't have to take as many risks, man. Like, prolong your freaking wrestling career. Don't take don't take unnecessary, uncalculated risk. 
that does not bring down your undeniability. It does not. Um, it makes you better, uh, even though you are like fantastically good. But like you take the risk that you know you can handle. You take the risk that you know that you need, uh, rather than just you know going with the passion and everything. But you know. Don't hate me for that. I just want Cody Rhodes' career to be extended as long as possible. So just make the right risk calculations. That's all. Further in the match, um, it's a good thing that AEW does this. Um, And I want to praise AEW for this. Whatever person is on the outside, and it's mainly been the women, sometimes the men, uh, but it's mainly been the women. The women have been the, the distractions other matches and they're bringing back that old school type of flow where um you know the women are on the outside they'll grab the guy's leg or distract the referee or do something simple and innocent to where you know we all know that the matches may not go as according to plan um and i love that so we have um you know the bunny uh throwing in the distraction and stuff like that after that, you know, QT comes with, like, explosive offense. He does a perfectly maneuver crossroads. Um, and then he does this handstand corkscrew over the top rope move. It looked great. You know, it may not have been smooth, but it was like, damn, dude, you could actually do some stuff. Like, you know, um, and then after that, uh, Cody does a suicide dive through the smaller rope. And then there's this stunner and lariat combo that happens. Um, but that stunner and lariat combo helps the Blade and the Butcher pick up the win as like an official tag team. Um, Cody Rhodes and QT being the tag team is really, really good. Um, I don't see it often because I don't want the magic of QT to be depleted, so to speak, um, only because of... When you see QT in like the Being the Elite episodes or the Sammy Guevara vlog, which by the way, I don't get paid for any of those two shout outs. I just love those guys. But when you see him in the back with these guys, like you just know him as QT as the associate producer. Um, and that's what it is. If he wants to continue wrestling, there's always a home for him to continue wrestling. There's a spot, a spot in my heart for him to continue wrestling. But I think that he should just be like a main attraction. Like if he needs to, like if Cody Rhodes has no other teammate, so to speak, QT could step in for one night, you know, just help him out. Just be there. Wrestle. Bam. That's it. You know, QT shocked the world. You shocked the internet about um, wrestling, pulling out these moves, you know, going with the the energy of the crowd just because, you know, an injury has set him back and he thought he wasn't going to be as good as what, you know, he originally thought. Darby had came out, shook Cody's hand in the event of, like, them teaming up together, um, which would be a very interesting team. MJF and Wardlow come out. They do a promo. Well, MJF does most of the talking, so MJF does a promo. Not they do a promo. When we started this podcast, I had told Epic that um, I was not a fan of MJF. MJF had to grow on me. Um, You know, I just didn't understand MJF. Um, I thought he was, when he was originally this weird hybrid of a 
face slash heel. Maybe he was just like in between. I don't want to call him an anti heel, like how Stone Cold was like in the middle because whatever he did, he got cheered and booed, or he just got mostly cheered. But he was a bad guy. Anyway, uh, MJF just came off as annoying to me. Um, he came off as, uh, I think I'm just going to leave it with annoying. But after the past couple of promos, ever since his actual heel turn by throwing in the towel to Cody Rhodes, this guy has overnight become 100% better. And he looks like a champion on the mic, because I knew if I would have left it there, people would have been like, what are you talking about? Um, eventually, I mean, if you guys think about it, eventually he will end up getting the AEW championship belt. When? I don't know. Am I going to speculate? No, I'm not. Um, so, in this promo, in the ring, they do the classic thing of picking on a defenseless AEW uh, crew member um, obviously, this AEW crew member has some training. If not, he would have never taken the bump. Um, so, so before this AEW crew member takes the crossroads from MJF, who now learned it, does anybody in wrestling Twitter or anyone hearing this, you guys can leave your comments as a, as a voice message through Anchor. My question is, does anyone see the correlation between MJF doing the whole kiss the ring gimmick and Cody Rhodes doing the whole kiss the ring gimmick when Cody Rhodes was in Ring of Honor. Did anyone catch that? If so, like I said, leave us a voice message and it could be played on a future episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I've always wondered why AEW needed a ring. Um... You know, but now everything makes sense. Um, You know, Cody Rhodes is so old school and he's bringing that old school element back because we saw the um, uh, the footage of Cody Rhodes giving that speech and stuff like that. And, um, you know, naming his name brand clothing and like telling how much money it is. And then like, you know, the $50,000 that he was presenting to MJF to like try to get MJF to agree to a match with him starting in the new year. Cause it's not going to happen next week. But the idea of doing that, that's so old school. Ric Flair used to do that. Ric Flair always used to talk about how much money his clothes were back in the day at NWA. I don't think Dusty has ever done it. I know that Dusty and Ric Flair would like compete with buying expensive clothes like outside of the wrestling business just because you know that's they were competition guys but other than that um flattering that this is happening again in 2019 going into 2020 um except that it's a little bit different um it's not so much in your face it's just a matter of like paying attention to the details And this is what people have to learn. Pay attention to the details. Do your research. Watch old school professional wrestling so that way you can see the similarities of what they did back then. Kind of still works what they're doing now. MJF has this ring. He's going around to everyone that he wants to and just kind of annoys the hell out of them by showing them his pinky ring and being like, hey, I need you to kiss this ring for me because it's MJF. Um, that's the same thing with Cody. When Cody won the Ring of Honor ring, um, 
he did the same thing to like everyone when he was a heel. He was like, you know, you're going to kiss the ring and stuff like that. The similarities are there. The one comment that MJF says in this promo that made this promo a hundred times better was when he commented on Cody Rhodes' lips. So for anyone that doesn't know, if you guys don't listen very closely to the way that Cody Rhodes speaks, he has a lips. So there are certain words that he'll have a more S sound when he speaks. Um, you know, not everyone in the world gets this. A handful out of people guess this. Get that lifts. And the only reason why, uh, you know, a human will get the lifts is because they have, like, an overgrown tongue. That's all it is. Um, it's just a fatter tongue that just makes a sound. Um, his dad had it. Um, I don't think Dustin has it when he when he speaks. But either way, when when MJF did that, that was like the icing on the cake of his promo. It's like, oh shit, you went there, you attacked something personal that this man has. Other like it didn't have to be anything else in the promo. You remember that line because he went there. That right now is a personal attack. That means that this is getting good. Um, and you know that all bets are off. Uh, when it comes to having a personal attack. Yeah, that was like the explosion comment for his promo. Um, I just, you know, after everything, you're just like, oh shit, this match is about to go down. So before um, he ends like his promo and goes to the back, he does agree to fight Cody Rhodes. Um, however, um, it, there are going to be some stipulations, and we'll find out next year what those stipulations are. Um, and we'll just have to look out for that. I don't have any stipulations coming to my mind as to what MJF could be thinking at this point. Um, I'm just in it for the ride. Um, that lifts comment freaking hooked me. Um, and... I just want to see where it goes from here. MJF did a wonderful job in this promo. Very strong, very good. Um, and it should be, it should continue to do so. Dark Order promo. The Dark Order has been repackaged so beautifully overnight that it makes me interested in their story. Um, it does feel like a cult. I don't like cults. I'm not joining the cult. I'm not joining the Dark Order. After this promo, I was just like, this was the best promo I've seen them do. Um, so, in this promo, Alex Reynolds, one half of the tag team to John Silver, uh, is just in his hotel room, you know, watching TV, regular TV, and then the guy proceeds to call him by name and tell him, aren't you, uh, don't you have enough, ah, I'm messing this up. Uh, The guy proceeds to ask him if he had enough of losing. Basically, the dark order is if you keep losing, and obviously you will get tired of keep losing, you know, go join them. You'll be a winner in their book. Like, you'll be a winner in life. Um, it takes a couple of times where Alex is like, this guy really talking to me? Like, why is this happening? Um, to get that feeling of, this is serious. The Dark Order is fucking serious. Um, 
I will also mention too that um I was gonna do AEW Dark as well. I'll do it after uh my review on AEW Dynamite. But AEW Dark for episode ten, they also had a similar not really a similar one, but another Dark Order promo that kind of brought it out into the open. You go there and they ask you the same question of like, you know, what's your motivation for joining the Dark Order? If you answer correctly, you get to be in. If you answer like that guy answer saying that he just wants friends, you get your ass kicked. What is that? (laughs) Why would you get your ass kicked? Like, you know, I understand the Dark Order is all about go join them so you could be a winner. Why can't we be friends and be winners in the same circle? Anyway, I'm thinking too hard about it because my answer is no. I will not join the Dark Order. You guys are doing wonderful with the promos. Shout out to the AEW crew and the Dark Order wrestlers uh, for doing wonderful promos. But no matter how many times I see it, I will not be joining the Dark Order. Um, I do not think there will be a video out there that will um, get me to be like, yeah, I want to join. No, I don't want to join. I still want, you know, my freedom. If I lose, I lose. I can learn from it. Um, If I just keep winning, what am I going to learn from it? I'm not going to learn anything from it. Uh, So, no to the Dark Order. All right. We finally get to match three. Match three is Big Swole versus Emi Sakura. Originally, I was going to criticize Big Swole's promo that she had done against Shanna during the AEW Dark episode 9. Yeah, I am so sorry. Let me rephrase that. I was originally going to criticize Big Swole's um, promo that she did against Shanna after uh, they had played the Shanna package of, um, you know, her life and what she went through and stuff like that. And then... Uh okay, so it really was okay. And then when on AW Dynamite, they did show on AW Dark. Okay, so and then they showed, you know, the life of Big Swole and what she dealt with and stuff like that, and how she came to almost dying and stuff. But you know, luckily we have her here and stuff like that. It's kind of irrelevant now. Um it wasn't going to be like a super major criticism that she doesn't know how to do a promo. She knows how to do a promo. She knows what she's doing. She's been in this business for so long. I've had the privilege of seeing her multiple times on uh, Shine when they came to New York, Queens, Laboom, uh, to wrestle. So I've seen her live and she's she's really good. The only problem is that like I don't really take to the swole mentality, even though I understand the swole mentality, because at a certain point it will become very egotistical and not so much humble that I'm just like, eh, I can't really relate to this. That's just me. Um, And everyone is entitled to, like, you know, how they see things. But that does not mean that I'm going to say that she's crap when she's not. She could definitely kick my ass. But I'm just saying that if she wants to be the heel that she's going for, right, Um, her match, her promo to Shayna should not have 
just swept Shannon's story away. Because that's what it felt like. It felt like she just swept it away and it was like, boo-hoo, everyone goes through problems. I went through problems. I almost died. And I felt like that sort of diminished her character, Big Swole's character, somewhat. Um, And I think I had mentioned it in the episode on this podcast that, uh, and I'm going to mention it again, because we could all learn from Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho had once did a promo in WCW against his opponent. I totally forget what opponent that he um, was doing this promo against, but he kept calling his opponent old and, you know, he can't cut it. Uh, Just a bunch of, like, old stuff, like putting him down and totally discrediting his opponent and trying to make himself look like the bigger person. Technically, if you're starting out in the business, you know, that's what you may think. That if you're the heel, you should just, like, squash your opponent when it comes to promos and make yourself look bigger than what you are and then not put the guy over. So, um, I forgot who comes to him, but they had gave him some really good advice about always make sure to put your opponent over, but you can throw in slide comments to make yourself look better if you're playing the heel. Um, and that's what, and that's the advice that Big Swall should take. If she wants to play the heel, um, she could definitely, you know, disparage her opponent. However, do it in the way of bringing them up just to bring them down to make yourself look better because in her Swall mentality, she does things on a grander stage. So that means she has to think uh, grander. You know, she could have been like, you know, see, if I really went in depth with this of how to really redo promos, I really don't want no one jumping on me to be like, oh, that's racist or insen- or insensitive or that's a stereotype or whatnot. But for the sake of this, because I hope that you guys get out of the Square Circle podcast some type of education from learning wrestling, because I freaking love this business. Um, in Shanna's promo... When she talks about her struggles of, like, you know, sort of being, like, anorexia because uh, people had told her that, oh, the camera adds 10 pounds, so she was just dealing with her weight and stuff like that, you know, um, Swole could have capitalized on that and say something along the lines of, well, that's a white girl problem, and you don't see me doing that since I'm here flexing and getting the job done. That's something along the lines that I would have said just to try to build heat. And, you know, that that's what you would do to build heat. You know, you would, um, even though I don't think that built her up and took her down. Maybe it did. I don't know. You guys leave me a voice message about that. But, you know, it's the idea of if you're going to be a character, stay true to the character. Um, Big Swole always comes out there with a big personality and she, uh, always flexing her muscles and be like, look, look how swole I get, you know, um, she's out here working 10 times harder to get the body that she wants because that's her big goal. That's what she wants to do. I really got to sit down and think about this, but that's how promos should necessarily go. But maybe I shouldn't have not said that. Now I'm not thinking too hard about it. But you guys get the idea. Just don't, like, sweep away the problems to be like, well, everyone has problems, duh. It's like you got to build upon stuff. The same way that I praised 
MJF for going after Cody Rhodes' lips is the same way that sometimes, you know, if you want to be that heel, you got to go after uh, stereotypes. You got to go after stuff that you know will get the crowd riled up because if you could try to make it personal, then the outcome of your match would be a lot more stronger. It would be a lot more feelings. And that's what you want. You want feelings where people are like, crap, I really don't like this person because they talk shit about this person and, you know, vice versa. Or you could be like, oh, I love this person because this person is thinking exactly the way that I'm thinking. You just won't say it out loud. You know, that person will. So you're living vicariously through these characters that are saying this stuff um, just to either get heat, just to get over, to be a baby face or just to have, you know, your attention. Um, there's always room to grow. Uh, Big Swole is definitely going to be growing. Um, I don't think she has a lot of years under her belt, but she's not green. She's definitely not green. She could tell a story in the ring and stuff like that. It's just like, you gotta match her up with the right person. Going back to her matches, her two matches that I've seen, well, more than that, but I'm going to compare her match on Dynamite to her match on AEW Dark against Shanna. On AEW Dynamite, Big Swole comes out. She's fight she's facing Emi Sakura works well with other Japanese women and works well with anyone I guess who's in stardom because if you're in stardom, you're going to have to fight the Japanese way. There's no way that you're going to be fighting the um the American way. So, Emi Sakura has this Freddie Mercury-esque gimmick it does not really translate well over here in the States, even though I am a huge Queen fan. Like, I love Queen. I love Freddie Mercury. Um, I just wish that he was, still, he was still with us to make music. But other than that, like, Queen is fucking great. Um, it's just that Americans are weird and trends come and go. Um, and sometimes the wrestling crowd doesn't really get into it as much. Whenever uh, Emmy is out there and she does certain things that Freddie Mercury we Freddie Mercury would do. Um, luckily for the Dallas crowd, they were really great behind it and stuff like that. However, whenever Emmy fights with other American wrestlers, it just comes off flat. Um, it's not like when she fought Rio that they cut they 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 knew each other, so they knew each other's style. Um, Emmy panders to the crowd a lot uh she rests she wastes time um sometimes like every match is different every match has to be paced out because every match is either like 10 minutes or 15 minutes and stuff like that so i understand you have to pace it out pander to the crowd but you don't really have to do that in every single one but that's what she was doing and sometimes it's like i just want you to capitalize on like big high impact moves stop pandering to the crowd you know you could go to WWE and pander to the crowd. In AEW, you show off all the athletic moves you could do, hit multiple spots, and bam, the crowd is happy. You don't really have to pander to them as much, you know? You uh, you do flips, you do technical, you do hardcore. Woo! That's, that's the crowd. That's what I love. Uh, and then in comparison to when Big Swell was facing Shanna, that was a mess. Uh, it looked like very uncoordinated, um, and it wasn't like one person's fault. Um, it just looked like there was no communication there and whatever they were going to do. Um, it was just not the right 
time to have these two women there. Um, and I didn't even write that much notes for Shana ver- Shanna versus uh, Big Swole. I can't even see it in my notes. Like, I'm going to take... Oh, there it is. It's always on the front page. Uh, the only interesting thing about the Shanna versus Big Swole match on the AE Dark episode 8, and I apologize if you guys are getting confused about this, but I do want to try to talk about two things at once, um, especially if they're, like, one person I'm focusing on and stuff like that. Um, Shanna does do a double foot stomp to the back of the head to Swole during this AEW Dark episode, and then she does a dragon suplex finisher, which is kind of unique. Not most women use that. Um, and then that had her picked up the victory during AEW Dark. Big Swole versus Emi Sakura was a fun match. Um, Emi Sakura does this flying surfboard on Big Swole, as heard by um, Excalibur. Uh, Big Swole is the winner of this match um, with the ripcord elbow, which is called Dirty Dancing. Um, That leads Big Swole to pick up the victory and stuff like that. So before I go any further, I do want to mention in general about the AEW women's division. Um, I don't think we've had enough time dedicated on this podcast, or probably we have, uh, to talk specifically about the AEW women's division. Um, I have hopes. I'm not going to say I have high hopes, because when you have high hopes, you kind of have this expectation, and then when it's not delivered, you know, people get upset. But I have hopes that um, the division is going to turn out great. My only problem at the moment is that, my only problem is that the girls that they signed, they have other obligations to fulfill. And I totally understand that, you know, uh, AEW is the first company that will allow their talent to finish up a contract before they come over to AEW. Um, and then also this gives them good leeway to work with companies and to mix and match. You know, I totally understand the business side of it. However, as a fan, I want to see our champion our AEW Women's Champion, who is Rio, you know, compete a little bit more for the American crowd, compete a little bit more to put the belt on the line so that way it won't feel like an empty championship. It won't feel like an empty space. I understand that Rio is very comfortable in Japan. Um, You know, when it comes to fighting American women, she's not all that comfortable. But then again, this is where you would have to tell her, we need you over here to do training matches to get to know these women because every woman is different in their style, in their look, in their height, in their weight, in whatever they do. And if you don't spar with these people, the matches are going to look like there's no communication. The matches are going to look like everyone is still green and the matches are not going to translate well, like how the men matches translate well already. Um, I just want the women to work together as a team, to train together as a team. So that way, when they have matches and they have weird matchups, um, it won't look like it's falling short and it won't look like it's it's bad on both Kenny Omega and Brandy, who are taking care of the women's division. So far, they're doing a fantastic job. But I really want these women to be, like, under one roof, train, and produce these amazing stories for the American crowd um, because they're 
they're located here in, in the States. If they were located in Japan, then I really can't say anything. But because they're here and they signed any kind of woman with any kind of wrestling background, you know, they all need to chip in, work together, and become great because um, these women, you know, they love what they do. And they're on the front lines and they want to showcase it. What's the best way to showcase it? Train every day, hang out with each other, learn about each other. And then, bam, when you're in the ring, certain stories that will probably get told will feel a lot better, will feel a lot genuine. Um, That's also another problem with, like, women's wrestling in general. When it comes to certain storylines or just storylines in general, I don't see myself gravitating towards it as much as I would the men. I still haven't figured out why. Uh, maybe I should probably like do an in-depth analysis as to why I feel that way. But when AEW arrived on the scene, I started caring more about, you know, seeing these women in action, why these women are wrestling, like the promos that they deliver. I want to feel more of a connection to these characters so I could be like, so I'm always about wanting to know what's going to happen next with the men. When AEW came on the scene for their women's division, I started caring about the women. Um, I started caring about these stories and I started caring about like where they're going and what they're doing and stuff like that. And I want that to continue. I want that to be a success story on AEW's part. But maybe when the new year comes, most of the women will not be so tied up with prior engagements that we could finally see this. You know, um, I just want the women's division to blossom and it, won't do that if your champion is currently over in Japan wrestling in Japan and we don't really know anything about it and then they're gonna come here for like you know certain dates and then that's it it's like she should have never been champion if that was gonna be the plan I mean I understand why you would make a champion from a business standpoint you take it over to Japan you show around the AEW stuff um you know you showcase it it's the same concept of Kenny Omega being the AAA champion from Mexico. And he's not a Mexican wrestler. He's a Canadian wrestler. Same concept. Um, you get more people to tune in for the Mexican wrestling. You get more people to tune in for the Japanese crowd, um, for whoever watches New Japan Wrestling, because they're going to be following Riho over there. But now, looking back on it, it really was a bad idea if that was their intent. Even though I get their intent, but long run, bad idea. Because we haven't really seen Riho in, like, months. But we all know where she's at. It's just that for 2020... I really want AEW to step up their women's division and have these women wrestle like the men. Uh, after that third match, uh, they go to the back and Pac has his interview. Uh, this is right before the tag team match. Uh, Pac mentions that he came to AEW for opportunity and that he wants his rubber match. And I'm guessing his rubber match is against Paige or Kenny. I am not sure. But... Um, I would like you guys to leave me a voice message and let me know about that. The fourth match is a tag team match. So it's Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford uh, and Sean Spears versus uh, Kenny Omega and Adam Page. Um, this tag team match was was uh, really good. I really need Kenny Omega and Adam Page to uh, team up for a little bit. There's a there's a amazing chemistry there. There's heart, drive, and passion there, but it could also lead to heel turns. It's just a disaster for something that's really, really good and really, really 
wanting to like look out and watch for. In this match, uh, Hangman starts it off and there's this like renewed aggression with him. To be honest, even though I love seeing him around, you know, uh, being the elite and he's one of the elite guys, Hangman Adam Page has all this potential. Um, he's a really good wrestler. He's a cowboy, but there wasn't too much personality to him. It wasn't until Hangman Adam Page started losing, revealing on being the elite that he's done. He's taking the sabbatical from them because he needs to find his way. He needs to find himself. It's all really good. It's all good storytelling. Remember, guys, pay attention to the details. Hangman is in the ring, tearing it up. There's a segment where Kip Sabian's in the middle and you have um, Omega and Hangman uh, just chopping away at each other and stuff like that. The interesting thing is that Kenny Omega had faced Kip Sabian like 24 hours ago, give or take, because both of them was on AEW Dark Episode 10. Both of them are really good in the ring. Uh, There was, uh, you know, there's one distraction that always happens and it's Penelope Ford. She is the woman that I want to give a little bit of a spotlight to. She basically puts herself in harm's way. She is a wrestler. She knows how to take moves and I believe she some intergender wrestling on the indies as well. She is the big distraction in this match, especially the Kenny. Um, and then like Sean Spears comes out of nowhere with a backbreaker. I think, well, it's it's a code breaker, but backbreaker. And then Kip comes in with attacking, and then Kenny kicks out. And then Ford does a Herb Karana. I think she does it on Paige. I think she does it on Paige. There's a swinging DDT done to Kenny. And then um, P- Penelope Ford gets into the ring, does this cartwheel elbow to Kenny. Uh, Kip does this fisherman suplex. And then Kenny kicks out of that. Um, so... Everyone is gaining up on Kenny, and the referee is letting this very lenient uh, array of attacks happening and stuff like that. And while I'm not always a big fan of the referee allowing so much lenient during this ma- during these type of matches, it sort of makes me feel for Kenny because you're like, Kenny needs to get offense. Kenny needs to get out of there. Kenny needs to stop taking all these hits. And obviously, my own personal thing is if Penelope Ford wants to hit you like a man, just hit her back. It's totally okay. It's wrestling. It's fine. Um, if she knows what she's doing and she signed and she knows what she signed up for, you know, just go with it. It's totally fine. You know, we can make it like, you know, Arnold as Mr. Freeze. Take two and call me in the morning type of thing. So after all that, um, Kenny does his uh, knee strikes um, and then like Kip counters and all that kind of and all that uh, knee striking, and then uh, Kenny finally hits that high impact V trigger. Um, both Kenny and Kip Sabian are down. Then the lights go out, and here I thought that the Dark Order was gonna come and fuck shit up. They're gonna need to do that one day. They're gonna have to like cut the lights out. Dark Order shows up. Dark Order fucks up everybody, and you know say some shit like, "Are you guys tired of losing?" You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's a little too rushing into things and breaking a good story. But just imagine lights out, dark order shows up, fucks everything up. But to my dismay, that does not happen. So we see on on the top of the stage, Tully Blanchard, who is the manager to Sean Spears, is tied up. That was a really bad job of being tied up. 
That really was, guys. <laughs> Work on that. He got titled by Joey Janela. Sean Spears leaves the match, goes saves his manager, beats the shit out of Janela. They head to the back. Um, and then uh, when the dust like kind of settles, Kenny goes to his automatic Snapdragon suplexes to Kip Sabian and then the V-Trigger. And then as we think Kenny is going to pick up the victory, Hangman Adam Page tags himself in um, and does the buckshot lariat um, to pick up the victory. Backstage of uh, AEW, Kenny was uh, proceeding to say some words, and then Hangman comes in. Hangman apologizes to Kenny Omega for just tagging himself in and then picking up the victory after Kenny has done so much to work. Um, and then Kenny was like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. A win is a win is a win. Um, even Kenny wants this tag team to happen and stuff like that. Um, this is the good storytelling that I really love because, you know, you know deep down inside that Kenny's a little bit conflicted about that. Like, if if anyone out there, you know, ever had a wrestling match and your partner decided to tag in after you did all the heavy lifting just to come pick up the win, you'll feel some type of way. And Kenny felt some type of way. But being the professional that he is didn't let it really show too much. But at the same time, you feel for Hangman Page because you're like oh, crap, he probably did, like, fuck up. Like, you're not really supposed to do that. But then again, we could also argue that it was the heat of the moment. In the heat of the moment, you don't think straight, so it just happens, and it just goes like that. Um, but, yeah, I really want to see these two actually, like, wrestle and do stuff together. After that, we get a video package of a Brandy Rhodes promo. Everyone likes to talk shit about Brandy Rhodes. You guys need to stop talking shit about Brandy Rhodes. Brandy has evolved ever since she stepped foot into professional wrestling. Uh, you know, if we want to go back into like her history, she worked for WWE, was a ring announcer, met Cody, they married, they left WWE. Uh, she's been with him ever since. Uh, she does a phenomenal job um, being the chief brand officer of AEW. Uh, you guys like to talk shit about her wrestling skills. Everyone starts from nothing, okay? Me included. I haven't went back to wrestling training, and I can tell you that I probably, my bumps are still horrible. But am I going to sit here and talk trash about someone who, you know, probably didn't want to be a wrestler, so to speak, but like, you know, wanted to try it and see where it went? No, I'm going to praise her because she's actually doing something that most people wouldn't want to do. Her promo skills have increased um she has this new freaking sex appeal about her now i'm just like fuck cody knows you know cody knows everyone knows brandy's sexy and brandy draws me in every time that she speaks and that she explains the nightmare collective and i just want to join the nightmare collective with her um just because it's looks like fun we could definitely like stir some shit up from start to finish this promo was on point it wasn't long it wasn't short it was just right and if you guys notice everything that you talk shit about her on twitter she's throwing it back into your faces um i'm always a firm believer of don't feed the trolls but we are so far gone that like um it's too late we feed the trolls anyway but at least professional wrestling gives us that outlet of getting back at people and this is what it is. It is fantastic. Uh, as 
she was going through the video and you saw the members there. There was this guy who was bald headed and completely pale. And the first thing I thought it was, oh my God, it's Joy Mercury. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know why I want to hope I'm wrong, but I just want to know I'm wrong. Overall, a good promo. Overall, I love what Brandy and Awesome Kong are doing. I will try to remember the girl that they just recruited. I don't remember her name, but the whole entire team is doing well. Very, very, very well. After that, we have Chris Jericho and Jack Hager on commentary. Chris Jericho kicked out Tony Schiavone and Excalibur, which is hilarious. And then he's with the OG JR. You guys need to stop talking shit about JR too. Stop it. Just enjoy wrestling. Even if, like, the commentators um, say some stuff, just tune them out. You're there to watch the wrestling and just be amazed at everything that you see. Sometimes commentating helps, sometimes it doesn't help. But you should already know the moves. You should already know this stuff. So this is Sammy Guevara versus Luchasaurus. Uh, Luchasaurus is joined by Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt for this. Um, This was... A sort of a weird matchup, but uh, whatever opponent, whatever opponent you put with Sammy Guevara, it's not going to be a squash match. Um, he's going to adapt. That's what uh, Sammy Guevara does. He adapts. Um, I still can't believe how tall Luchasaurus is, and um, I don't think the camera does it justice, but it gives me this idea that. He's so fucking tall that, yeah, he's a dinosaur. Sammy uses his speed against Luchasaurus, and that's what you need. You really need to use your speed against someone that big. Always attack the legs. Always attack the knees. Um, maybe some feet to get the big guy off his feet, so that way you can get the advantage, and you can control the match as it goes. Luchasaurus just likes kicking people, man. He kicked Sammy so many times. He headbutted him. Uh, Luchasaurus uses his power, and I think that's because of all the, uh, you know... All the leaves he be eating and stuff because he is a herbivore. He's not even an omnivore. Sammy is true and true with his gimmick. You know, he vlogs during the matches and stuff like that. Um, that's what he was doing in this one. Luchasaurus has some educated feet, which is really fun to watch. Sammy does a DDT onto Luchasaurus. And then to end the match is this tombstone face plant style finisher that luchasaurus does i do not know the name of the finisher but that's what he does to pick up the victory then there is a small little post-match breakout where jericho comes down battles jungle boy briefly um and then so everyone begins to wrestle including like jake hager gets into it and marco stun and everyone's like that uh jericho does battle jungle boy briefly and then somehow jungle boy does this uh, pin on Chris Jericho, and then Marco Stunt comes in and proceeds to count the one, two, three, and then bam, you know, the whole entire Dallas roof explodes. And it's like, could we possibly see this next week on December 18th, the go home show of AEW? Uh, the next pay per view is going to be in Chicago, February 29th. It is going to be called AEW Revolution. If that's not a stab at WWE, I don't know what is, or even NXT. Like, couldn't they have come up with a better name? Um, you know, I love the fact that we had um, AEW All In, AEW Double or Nothing, AEW Full Gear, um, and then, like, the AEW Buy-In. Like, those are unique to AEW. AEW Revolution is not really unique. 
Um, they're gonna have to put some like blockbuster stuff on AEW Revolution when it comes on February 29th in Chicago because I just don't see it. Um, they probably should have like really thought about the 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 name of the pay-per-view before um trademarking it um even though we're going to be getting four pay-per-views a year i think that's uh very good uh because there will be allowed for very very good build-ups leading up to it um and no one's gonna get tired it's not gonna be like oh my god we gotta stop this you know it's too much we gotta slow down it's more the let's spread it out let's have some fun with it let's not do pay-per-views every single month and stuff like that um but yeah uh i just don't like the the title i think it could have been something different like i said they're gonna need to really really put some star power behind this before leading up to february 29th oh yeah they also had AEW fighter fest now it is time to talk about your main event of AEW dynamite the texas street fight tag team match you had the young bucks facing santana and ortiz this entire match was explosive from start to finish. I wrote down so many notes. I couldn't keep up. Um, but if I could, I would love to put the meme of Oprah telling everybody that they get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Because this match was you get a table, you get a table, you get a table, you get a table. It was so filled with table spots that I was like, oh my god, how many times am I going to write down um, this dude went through a table, that dude went through a table, this dude went through a table. Like, I enjoyed it. I really did. I was feeling the energy of the crowd. I was feeling the energy of the boys. Like, you know, I just don't think that they gave it enough justice because it went so quick and because you had to be quick with what you said at, you know, commentary and stuff like that. And then, you know, for being someone like me who writes down notes, I have to like write down notes and write them down fast. Let me just read through my notes and let's see how many times I, I mentioned table, which I don't think is that much, but like everyone went through a freaking table. In the beginning, the opener, Santana and Ortiz jumped the Young Bucks. Uh, during the entrance. Brandon Cutler is there too. Um, I guess he came out with them during the entrance. Uh, but he gets powerbombed through the stage by Santana and Ortiz. Um, and then Sammy comes out to help both Santana and Ortiz because this is, uh, there's no time limit, there's no DQ, there's nothing really. There's no rules. So anyone could come out to help um, their, their other person. The Young Bucks finally fight back. They do the indie taker on Sammy, which is a double power driver or a power driver that like just has help with it. I forgot what you call it. Matt gets Ortiz on a table. This is the first one for a table. Um, and then Nick climbs up um, onto the entranceway and then does a swanton to crash into Ortiz through a table. And then Nick does an elevated dropkick on Santana when they come back down the ramp and back into the ring. Santana hits the Young Bucks with a whatever you call that sock that's filled with probably tennis balls um because it'd be very awkward if i just said that that sock filled with balls that thing they put a trash can over uh nick's head and begin to like beat the trash can that's very old school matt of course with product placement uh uses a dallas helmet for offense and stuff like that hits his northern light suplex uh and then again sends santana through a table by leaping him over so table number two. Uh, and then Ortiz sends Matt through a table. 
Table number three. And then Ortiz flies and crashes into Nick through a table. Table number four. This is tag team wrestling at its best. It's kind of fun. It's explosive. It's super, super fast. Uh, you just got to pay attention to everything. Remember, pay attention to the details. Um, and then Matt with a trash can uh, to stop a suplex. Like They were going to suplex Nick off the top rope. Um, in comes Matt with a trash can to hit. Um, I think Ortiz with it or Santana. Um, and then Matt decides to fly over Nick to do a cross body on Santana. And then Nick use it. Uh, Nick does a 450 splash um, on the can to Ortiz. And then Jack, ha- Jack Jake Hager interrupts. Um, and this is where Jake uh, pulls the referee out. So that way Matt does, Nick does not get the victory. Um, and then Nick proceeds to try to kick Hagger, but then hits the referee. So the referee is out. And then Dustin comes down and takes out Hagger so that way Hagger won't be a problem. Um, and then finally, both Young Bucks uh, hit their uh, move more, bunk, more. Oh my God. Do you see how fast I have to read these things? It's like, it's like I'm reciting the match so quickly. Um, then the Young Bucks do their more bang for your buck combo, and then referee, uh, Aubrey, Aubrey Edwards, I might be saying her name wrong, but she has a very unique name, uh, comes out just so that way to replace the referee that was down, uh, at one point, Nick pulls the referee out to save the match, um, and then Satana Ortiz does the street sweeper, uh, finisher, um, and then that doesn't stop the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks keep going to where uh, Nick does the bulldog um, in uh, takes Ortiz, does the bulldog into the chairs, and then there's a super kick happening that Matt and Nick do against Ortiz. Um, and then another, oh, probably that was Santana. And then there's also a chair super kick from Nick onto Ortiz. Um, and then to pick up the victory. Um, that the Young Bucks did. They did the Meltzer driver. And now the Young Bucks are the number one contenders for the AEW Tag Team Championship against um, Sky and Frankie Kazarian. Oh my God. So I had to write all those notes down pretty quick to get all that information out. And you could just hear in, in my voice that it was like, you know, this person got a table. That 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 is what you call the epitome of a spot fest. Um, but, you know, we can't really knock it because we were all having fun. And if you're having fun, you don't think about, you know, the nitpicky stuff that happens in the professional wrestling business. It was a fun, quick match uh, to get to the 10 o'clock mark for the TNT show. Um, there was nothing really wrong with it um, except that no more tables for the next uh, for like next year in a way. Um, not that many tables, you know, but overall AEW Dynamite for December 11th was really good from start to finish. Um, it was the best two hours of my life. I didn't complain. I didn't feel like it was dragging, like how WWE programming would be dragging. Like it was, you know, they, they plan out what they're going to do. If there's room for improv, they'll do improv, but it's mainly like, here's a match. There's a story in it. Did you understand a story? Cool. So that story is going to be taken to like maybe a segment on being the elite or a segment on being on being in the inner circle or just something more, you know, um, there's no, um, 
shortage of like these stories and stuff like that, just remember to pay attention to the details and all the seeds that get sprinkled uh, throughout. Don't just go to Twitter and be like, oh my God, I'm so upset at this. You know, watch the programs, um, critique properly and just have fun with it. That's what AEW is doing currently, having fun with it um, and not thinking too much about consequences or, um, you know, if they should think twice about doing something. I did say I wanted to review some stuff from AEW Dark episodes, but um, we'll get to those at another time, um, especially when I want to dive deep into deeper topics and talk about specific topics and stuff like that. So I highly enjoy making this episode with you guys. Um, 